Turn in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We have looked at this passage uh, previously with respect to uh, the household code contained here uh, regarding wives and husbands, and I'll have more to say in a moment as to why we're looking at it again. But first, let's pray. Lord God, we uh, come to you who has caused this word to be written for us, upon whom the end of the ages has come. We ask, therefore, that you would give us understanding. We ask that you would direct our ways as we have sung. We ask that you would bless the hearing of your word as well as the speaking of it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So as I've mentioned, we have previously considered this with respect to wives and husbands, and we have been going through uh, a series of sermons this month on singles, having dealt with the household. uh, We wanted to look at the Word of God and what it has to say to those that are single, particularly since so many of us in the congregation are in various states of singleness, either never married, once married, uh, or whatever. So... Uh, We've been doing that, and turn to this passage in that regard again. Now, obviously, it's talking about marriage, all right? But perhaps one of the most important things to say to singles is uh, if um, uh, you're preparing for marriage or dating or looking to date, uh, one of the best things that you can do is be the kind of woman that a man would want to marry, a Christian man would want to marry, or be the kind of uh, man that a Christian woman would want to marry. And it's with that in mind that we look at these verses again this morning with respect to men and women. We looked at them uh, last week, uh, and we're going to get more specific this morning. Um, Dating uh, is a relatively modern invention. You don't find it in the Bible. We've considered that in the past. There were arranged marriages in the Bible. I'm not recommending those. Uh, But you don't find dating. It's somewhat of a modern invention. So it's not as if we can open to a chapter and verse and find, here's how you date. But suffice it to say that uh, dating for a Christian should be for marriage. Uh, Somebody asked the question in response to my solicitation, when am I ready uh, for a relationship? Uh, When you're ready to get married, all right? Dating should be towards marriage, all right? Um, So this is for... Uh, singles in that particular uh, estate, if you will, uh, looking to date or dating uh, or uh, considering these things. So with that in mind, let's read Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 21, actually, to the end of the chapter. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansing her, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We have been considering these things uh, specifically as Christians. Paul here in this part of the book of Ephesians is is addressing Christians and behavior that is fitting for Christians. So this is addressed uh, to those who are the recipients of the grace of God, beneficiaries of the blood of Jesus Christ, and who are are seeking to uh, live uh, in accordance with God's uh, pleasure. So we want to look at men and women as we began to look at last week, all right? Um, The title, Viva la Difference, if you don't know French, is Long Live the Difference, the difference between men and women. We noted last week uh, in the initial uh, sermon that men and women are the same, equally created in the image and likeness of God, equally given the dominion mandate, equal in salvation, as the persons of the Trinity are all equal in power, substance, and glory. And yet, as the Father is different from the Son, the Son different from the Spirit in their respective roles and responsibilities in the economy of salvation, so also men, despite being similar, or men and women, despite being similar, are also different. And we looked at Genesis and some of those differences. So, long live the difference between the, sex, uh, between the sexes. Men and women are different. They're to be treated different with different roles and different responsibilities. It's very interesting. You see that in verse 33, for example. Let each one of men, uh, let each one of you love his wife as himself. That's the man's responsibility. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's almost the opposite of what you would expect. We noted that um, the tendency, the generalization, men rational, women uh, emotional, some sort of generalization, not that men are not emotional or women are not rational, uh, but we noticed that you would expect that, well, uh, wives uh, are to love their husbands. That's not what God says. Kind of turns around. It's very interesting. More on that later. So, men, first of all, what you learn from this passage Uh, in general, is that you are to love a woman, all right? Uh, You are to love a woman. Women, in general, women want to be wooed. This is what Hollywood counts on, is that women want to be wooed. They want to be swept off their feet, so sweep them off their feet. You need to let a woman know that you value her, that you treasure her. Uh, that you would do anything for her, and use words to tell them that. This is one of the differences between men and women, all right, is that men and women communicate differently. Men, I show my wife that I love her by taking out the garbage, by working hard, by bringing home a paycheck, by letting her go shopping. But my wife says, I need to hear you say I love you. Women communicate they want to hear that. So men love a woman and tell them that, all right? It's almost as if men are on AM and women are on FM, all right? 
and you need to communicate love in the language that the person is receiving or hearing. And men need to communicate love not by doing things, but by telling women that I love you, I value you, I treasure you, you're the best, I'd do anything for you. So first thing, love a woman. Secondly, be a leader, all right? Christ obviously is held forth here as the head of the church, and men, therefore, should be leaders. And I have three or four things to say with respect to this. Look at verse 31 uh, in the text, for example. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's not that a woman should leave her father and mother, right? But a man should leave his father and his mother. Now, I realize that many of you in this congregation have moved from various places in the country to come here to take a job, and in, uh, at least physically you've left your home where you were raised and you were reared. This is not saying that you sin by doing that. Please don't think that. It is indicating, though, that man, though, is to be the leader and to take the initiative, all right? So... A man initiates and a woman responds. Men, uh, it's your move. Uh, Declare yourself and declare your intentions. Uh, Have courage, confidence, initiative, and leadership. Now, men, you can make two mistakes when it comes to this, all right? On the one hand, you can be too passive and too scared to approach uh, someone uh, uh, or to uh, enter into a relationship. You need to overcome that. Relationships are risky, all right? You need to take the risk, okay? On the other hand, you can be buffoonish, and don't be a buffoon, all right? When I'm saying men initiate, all right, it doesn't mean it's a license to kill, all right? Don't be approaching a woman as if all you have to do is me, Tarzan, you, Jane, let's go out, all right? No, all right? Use wisdom. Be discerning. Look for signs. Look for signals, all right? This is kind of, this is the way it goes. I don't know. All right? So, but you need to be wise. You, don't be foolish. Don't be a buffoon. All right? So don't be afraid. Be courageous, confident, initiative, leadership. But don't be a buffoon um, either. All right? And eventually, uh, if you're in a dating relationship, it's your responsibility to define that relationship. All right, many of you have heard from me or from my wife, DTR, define the relationship. What's going on here? All right, let me just tell you, if you don't do this, this is where somebody gets hurt, and it's usually the woman. All right, it's usually the woman. How many times I've heard from somebody, we're just friends? Don't kid yourself. All right? Don't kid yourself. If you're in a relationship where you are getting more and more intimate, and I'm not talking physically, but you're opening up your heart to somebody, you're sharing your lives with somebody, you are letting them into your heart, they are letting you into their heart, these are things that occur between potential mates. All right? It's how the two become one primarily. All right? And those are things that are to, uh, to occur uh, between prospective mates. People that are living like that, in a male-female relationship that are uh, engaging those kinds of things, without defining the relationship and kidding yourselves that you're just friends, 
somebody's going to get hurt. Take it from somebody that's been there personally. Take it from somebody that's been there pastorally. I've had to hold too many young women's hands, all right, whose hearts were broken by guys who continued in a relationship and didn't define it, only to have them later get broken hearts because they never defined it. So it doesn't mean you need to define it on day one, but eventually if that's the kind of relationship that's going on, take the initiative and define the relationship. Be a leader. Secondly, know what you want and where you are going, all right? And I'm not talking about dating here. I'm talking about life, all right? Be a leader by knowing what you want and where you're going. We'll talk more about this in the men's uh, class, a godly man. But a godly man is on a mission. He knows where he's going, he knows what he wants, and he's on a mission to get there, all right? And you need to know that, all right? You need to know that. Don't be floundering. What's your trajectory in life? A woman wants to know that, all right? We'll talk more about that. You're asking a woman to help you in life, to attach her, dating and marriage eventually, uh, to attach herself to you. Well, where are you going? What do you want? Where are you going? All right. Thirdly, look at verse 26 and 27. Be especially a spiritual leader. Verse 26 and 27. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is what Jesus Christ does for his bride, the church, and the analogy is what a husband is to do for his bride, his wife, to be a spiritual leader. Now, this is the number one complaint I have heard from Christian wives ever since I've been in the ministry. Number one is my husband is not the spiritual leader of the home. Now, nature abhors a vacuum. If Men, if you are not the spiritual leader in a relationship, and of course, begin that in dating, all right, let, I'll come back to that, I'll rewind, come back to that. Be the spiritual uh, leader in the home, nature abhors a vacuum. If you are not the leader, it's not as if there will be no leader. The wife will be the leader, and the children will see it, and people will see who knows They'll know who wears the pants in the family. And I can tell you, when, that, when I received that number one complaint from Christian wives, they hate being in that position. They wish that their husbands were the spiritual leaders in the family. So rewind. In a dating relationship, be a spiritual leader. This is very important. I tell uh, people in premarital counseling all the time, This is not mere sentimentality when you say that we want Jesus Christ to be the center of our relationship. Jesus Christ should be at the center of any Christian male-female relationship. What does it mean to have Christ as the foundation and the center of your relationship? It means that he's more important than anybody. And that prime importance that he plays in a relationship is manifest in how you relate to one another. It has to do with how you treat one another, how you speak to one another. It has to do with the uh, spirituality characterizing your relationship, that you read the Bible, that you pray together, that you're helping each other grow uh, in holiness, that you're helping each other grow closer to the Lord. 
these are things you want to explore and examine in a dating relationship. Is this somebody who I can attach myself to who is going to, you know, uh, cleanse me by the washing of water with the word? All right? So be a spiritual leader. <clears throat> uh, fourthly, look at verse 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Men, you are called to be a protector and a provider. A protector and a provider. <clears throat> and you are to protect women. And you are to protect a girlfriend. You are to protect a wife. And you are to provide. These are the primary responsibilities in a marriage, and they should be the primary responsibilities also in any dating relationship, all right? You are responsible for the psychological, physical, and emotional purity of a woman. Next week, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and look at physical and emotional purity. It's where so many Christian single dating relationships go wrong, all right? So... A little bit of uh, anticipation for that, all right? Uh, you uh, are responsible for that, all right? Do not have a relationship without trust, without commitment, without declaration, and without definition. That doesn't have to be day one, but eventually those things should occur in a Christian relationship, all right? Why? Because it's what it means to protect and provide for a woman. Thirdly, First, love a woman. Second, be a leader. Third, highly esteem a woman. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Another passage dealing with husbands, wives. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Very interesting. Too many people assume that, oh, I'm going to pray God hears. No, 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 that's not always the case in the Bible. I was reading just this week. God says, yeah, I'm not going to listen when they call, because they didn't listen to me when I called. Here God says your prayers can be hindered, all right, by mistreating your wife, all right? Well, <clears throat> you are to show honor to the woman, okay? Highly esteem a woman. Now, people get all bent out of shape, what it says here, woman as the weaker vessel. Anybody who has seen a woman deliver a baby knows that a woman is not weak. I would never want to have to go through the pain of childbirth. I've seen it five times. I've seen it actually more than that with miscarriages, all right? Women are not weak, all right? They're not weaklings in any way. <clears throat> they are not of less value. Rather, the weaker vessel here is like porcelain. It's like a Ming vase that you'd see in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's a treasure. It's invaluable, all right? And to be honored, to be handled gently with care and with honor. This means, men, that you should have manners, all right? If you don't know good manners, you should learn them. Chivalry, all right? Something that has been lost in our day, all right? Uh, something which used to be very well known. Now, those of you who are familiar with the sinking of the Titanic, 
Uh, when they hit an iceberg in the North Atlantic and the ship was going to go down, I think it went down in 30 minutes, right? And they manned the lifeboats. It was women and children first. Women and children first. Now, why is that? Was that just a holdover, a relic of some Victorian era? No, that was a Christian principle. And, and why? And why? <clears throat> because women are life bearers. Women are life bearers. They bear the future in their womb, potentially, all right? They are the future, and they're your legacy, they're your heritage. You sacrifice for them, you suffer for them, you be tough for her, all right? And treasure a woman, highly esteem a woman. This is, uh, I won't even go there. Anyway, that's men, women. Back to Ephesians. Look at verse 33. Verse I commented on momentarily earlier. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Women, respect a man. Respect a man. Now, this is not Aretha Franklin respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. All right? This is Otis Redding respect. You know the song by Otis Redding? Let me tell you. What you want, honey, you got it. What you need, baby, you got it. All I'm asking for is a little respect when I come home. Hey, now. When, all I'm asking, hey, is a little respect when I come home. Hey, 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 now. It's what I want from you. Respect is what I need. Respect is what I want. Respect is what I need. Got to, got to have it. 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 God says wives are to respect their husbands. A man needs to know he has the respect of a woman. Now, if I could just rewind one minute here. Men, that means you have to be respectable. All right? You have to be respectable. But women, respect a man. All right? The cry of man's deepest soul is echoed by Otis writing here. I got to, got to have it. There was a study of 400 men who were given the choice between being left alone and unloved in the world or to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone. 74% chose the first. I'd rather be left alone and unloved in the world than to feel disrespected by everyone. Very interesting. Men need to be respected more than they need to feel loved. You want to read further on this? Nancy Wilson has a chapter in her book, The Fruit of Her Hands, Respect and the Christian Woman. I commend it to you. So women, respect a man. Secondly, verse 22 and 23, be teachable. Be teachable. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. God says you are not to lead or to teach a man. This has ramifications, consequences, implications beyond uh, marriage. For instance, women in the workplace. Many 
of you are in positions of authority when it comes to your workplaces, all right? Now, I can tell you, many men chafe under a female boss. So, you need wisdom if you're in a position of authority, all right? Uh, you need to still respect a man, even if you're in a position of authority over him, all right? And that starts, all right, in how uh, you uh, are uh, teachable or in authority there. So, respect a man, be teachable, all right? Um, Yeah. Uh, Third, uh, be feminine. Be feminine. That is, have a demure disposition. All right? Uh, Let the man take initiative. Uh, Should you, ladies, ask a man for a date? Uh, No. If you start chasing a man, you will chase all your life. It may move a man to get into a dating relationship, but you still won't know his heart, and that's important. You still won't know his heart, all right? So, fourthly, um, be under authority. One of the things that is probably the most common in Christian dating relationships is autonomy. Autonomy is simply self-auto, nomos law, self-law. You're a law to yourself. And the danger in a Christian dating relationship for male and female is not just autonomy, but self-indulgence. Too often, everybody gets Google-eyed and into the feelings and romance and one thing or the other, and it just becomes self-indulgent. It becomes all about you, all right? And it's not all about you. It's not all about you as a single. It's not all about you as a Christian. It's not all about you as a married couple, all right? Far from it. But autonomy is a big problem. People just going out on their own, entering into relationships, doing their own thing, and nobody knows. Now, I am not advocating anything like patriarchy here, all right? But there should be no autonomy, all right? Somebody asked the question again, soliciting uh, this, uh, what's the difference between dating and courtship? Well, there's a lot that could be said about that, but simply one of the things is there's no autonomy. There's somebody that is supervising. In days gone by, this used to be chaperones, right? Is that you you watch some of these old movies, they're really great, some of the manners in these movies, right? I was watching this movie, it was like Cary Grant and and some starlet, and uh, they were in an apartment together, and they left the door open. Now, probably most people didn't even catch that. They left the door open because it would be improper to be seen alone in a closed room, right? Or um, alone together. Uh, It's May, so it's a little past Christmas, but one of our favorite movies at Christmas Christmas time is It's a Wonderful Life when Jimmy Stewart goes over to Donna Reed's house, right? And uh, he's kind of with her, and they're down in the parlor. And the mother's listening at the top of the stairs, right? And they all know that mom's there watching, right? Chaperone. Now, to bygone era, maybe. But the point is, you're not autonomous. There's somebody caring for you. There's somebody 
if you don't like the word supervising, somebody looking out for you, somebody who's looking out for your well-being, all right? So there should be that. Um, look at uh, Matthew chapter 24, an interesting passage here. Matthew 24, uh, verses 37 and 38. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. Giving in marriage. Now, again, I realize that many in the audience to which I'm speaking are out of their parents' home and have been for a number of, uh, of years. Uh, you're working, you're independent, you're, self, you're employed, you're not living at home under your mother and father's care. Many of you don't even have believing parents. Uh, many of you don't have fathers. I didn't have a father growing up, all right? Uh, but the point is, is giving in marriage was, was understood is that a man left his father and his mother, and the woman was given by her father to the man. You see this in traditions in even contemporary weddings, where the father walks, ordinarily, the father walks the bride down the aisle, and the question is asked, who gives this woman to this man? Now, the old-fashioned answer, which I think is actually the right answer, was, I do. The father does. Today, you often hear her mother and I. That's okay. It's all right. But the Bible says that a woman belongs to her father. Why is that? Because her father is the one with responsibility for her. The father is the one who's responsible to provide for her, to protect her, to take care of her, to look out for her. And that is an immensely significant transaction that happens in a Christian wedding. Who gives this woman to this man? There's an exchange of authority and responsibility occurring. When the father says, I do, and then the husband or the, the groom-to-be takes his bride, what's happened is the father has said, she's now your responsibility. You protect her. You provide for her. You look out for her. You care for her. You nourish her. You cherish her. I have done that up to this point in order that I might present her to you. And that's a beautiful picture of the gospel, isn't it? That's exactly what God the Father does with believers. God the Father brings a bride to his son, Jesus Christ, and presents her to him and says, she is now yours. She is now yours. You nourish her. You cherish her. You provide for her. You protect her. You care for her. I'm giving her to you. And Jesus Christ does that. He lays his life down for his bride. He purchases her with his own precious blood. That's immensely significant. Now I realize, what are you going to do if you have unbelieving parents? What are you going to do if that's geographically impossible to have somebody... Uh, look out for you, chaperone you, supervise, mentor, whatever you want to call it there. Uh, what, are, what are those of you that are older? Uh, that somebody should be a check and a reference. Now, I'm not offering myself, but just for illustrative purposes, I have said to women over the years in this congregation who are in that position, they have unbelieving parents or they're geographically too distant, I have said, I will be your surrogate father. And I will step in and do things that a father would do with a man to be sure that his daughter 
was taken care of and was protected and was provided. So, no autonomy. Be under authority. Um, also, it's your na nature, women, it's women's nature to nurture. We saw this last time, the difference between men and women. It's a woman's nature to nurture. But that makes potentially vulnerable and susceptible to danger and abuse. So when you enter into a relationship, you need to guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't give your heart away quickly to a man. Get to know him. Get to know he's trustworthy. Get to know that he's a man of integrity. Get to know that he's a man that's going to look out for you. Get to know that he's a man who actually not only says he's a Christian, but lives like a Christian, believes like a Christian, behaves like a Christian. A man of integrity. Someone to whom you can entrust your heart. Of course, that's what happens in a Christian relationship. What happens in a Christian relationship is two hearts joined together as one. People read Genesis 2 and it says the two became one flesh, right? Well, certainly that's a reference to the physical act of consummating a marriage, all right? But there's a reason why, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why sex is reserved to consummate a relationship and reserved for marriage is that that's the culmination, it's the conclusion, it's the consequence, it's the, uh, the, the, the capping of everything that has gone before that. That you are in a relationship, you're opening your heart to the other person successively, divulging it, increasing it more and more and more and more as you get to know that person until you get to the point to realize that this is the person who's my best friend in life. I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. And you marry them. And then you conclude or consummate that relationship sexually because the two become one. And how do the two become one? The two become one by their hearts becoming knit together, not just sexually, not just physically. Turn back to Matthew, uh, sorry, uh, Ephesians and chapter 5 and verse 21. Notice that Paul begins this section by saying, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Each is to be devoted to the other. I think I've mentioned this story once before, but I'll mention it again today in conclusion. <clears throat> I had a couple come to me for marriage counseling. They were having some difficulties. And I was talking about this passage in Christ's love for the church. And the wife said to me, you know, when I realized how much Christ loved the church, how much Christ was willing to go to the cross and undergo the horrors of hell for his bride. When I realize how great his love for his church is, I will do anything for him. The light went on. Don't you see? That's the secret to your marriage. Husband, that you would be willing to do anything for your wife devoted to her in endless love and devotion. And wife, that your response to his love would be to willingly yield yourself in loving devotion to him, each devoted to the other, as a beautiful picture of what happens 
between Christ and his church. And a marriage like that, a relationship like that, is like heaven on earth. So more on this next time from 1 Thessalonians 4. You can read it and look at it. And uh, we'll conclude this series with that, I should say, before I leave. I said to uh, some of you privately that uh, I was going to spend this whole month on dating. I've really kind of spent it on men and women and relationships, roles, responsibilities. And I hope that's been helpful. But I I am going to send out a whole uh, series of sermons on dating specifically when to date, who to date, how to date, all right? And uh, I'm just going to send those links out for your reference. And if anybody has any questions about any of this, uh, please do uh, come. It's very difficult to answer every question and say everything in a sermon or even a series of sermons. So there may be many unanswered questions. You may have uh, difficulties with some of the things that I said. Please be honest. Please be candid. Come and talk to me about those things. Ask those questions. Very good. Let's pray. Father, we want to give you thanks for your word and give you thanks for your guidance, give you thanks for your Holy Spirit. Spirit, we pray uh, that you would be with the men and women of this congregation uh, who uh, desire uh, a spouse or looking to date maybe, already dating. We pray that you would guide them, that you would guard them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.